Ciao ragazzi and welcome to another edition of Serie A Sit Down, World Football Index's podcast of Calcio Told Like It Is. Frank Crivello and Richard Carmen along for the ride as always. Ciao Richard. Ciao Frank, how are we doing this evening? Uh, we're doing good, man. We're doing good. I get to uh, another another podcast where we could get to talk about a Milan win again. I mean, it's, it's, it's called a winning streak. It's winning streak. It's been a long time since we could say that, man. It's, yeah, uh, looking, too straight. One of the best teams looking out of the coming out of the break. So. Yeah. Last last time we did this live, we had the uh, just I just had the Rat Pack behind me. I decided to give it some company uh, in the form of my Ibra uh, Milan jersey, and then the uh, um, the other jersey, which you wrongly said before we went on the air, that is not an Inter jersey. Why would I do that to my wall? In this light, okay. it kind of looks like black and black and blue. But hey, I'm glad it's a Zuri because I would have had to cut you out of this podcast. It is a uh, it is the Kappa uh, Italian national team jersey from 2000 uh, from the Euros. So, and I believe they wore that as well in 2002 um so there you go what year is that from uh 2010 okay 2014 i forget yep yep puma came around puma came around after kappa so makes sense but uh i am uh supporting uh lakefront brewery uh in milwaukee wisconsin today i'm having their uh lakefront brewery lager uh extra premium quality and other fine words says that on the can so i'm supporting um, I'm, I'm supporting the sanitation commission i guess with my coffee i don't know with the water i'm 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 glad you could uh openly say that and, and share that with everybody <laughs> you've given everyone such a lovely visual tonight i know. appreciate that so um we had here's what we're going to cover we're going to first of all we're recording this on tuesday night and the title contenders were in action today so we're going to break down their games in depth uh, and then we are going to uh, batch uh, a uh, a crazy um, match week that took place from Friday through Sunday. Forty goals, Richard. Wow, we're back. The goals are back, huh? Yeah, they are. They are. They definitely there's, are. There's we almost, had another. We had another seven many, today. I, yeah, look, that's forty-seven goals in how many game? How many days now? It's Ball almost games. too many goals. It's almost too many goals for just you and I to uh, talk about, huh? Yeah, we probably should get some help, and I'm glad that we uh, we summoned some help here for this edition of the Serie A Sit Down. Let's bring in our guest tonight, a rising sports journalist uh, at Bradley University in Peoria, Illinois, earning his first cap with the Serie A Sit Down. We say benvenuto to Miguel AJ. Hi, Miguel. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome aboard, and uh, why don't we start with how your, your love affair for Calcio? I see you're you're wearing the appropriate colors. We could be um, the Milan Weekly yeah. Pod post game show today if we <laughs> if we really wanted to do it. We um, could, we could. But uh, I think Stevie and Vinny do a good enough job. They're a hard act to follow. Uh, are, so I yeah. think we'll just I think we'll just cover the whole league tonight. Um, <laughs> so Miguel, take it away, man. What uh, what brought you into Calcio? What brought you into support from Milan, and uh, what got you to to following the uh, football on the peninsula? Okay, so it's actually quite a funny story. Uh, growing up, I used to watch football a lot with uh, my family. Uh, I can remember the 2006 World Cup, where Brazil did really good. Um, I can also recall the 2010 World Cup, where my uh, native nation Ghana went almost went to the semifinals, but got knocked out by Uruguay, um, which would have been, you know, record-breaking history for an African team. But it wasn't until after that World Cup where I was like, oh, I need to find uh, a club to support because I was 
you know, I was watching the World Cup and I was like, soccer isn't just the World Cup. There's, there's leagues, you know. So I had FIFA 10 and I was scrolling through the teams and something about me just appealed to Italy. So I went to Italy and this was back then when they had like Catania and uh, Bari in the league. Um, but I came across the badge of Milan and it just caught my eye. The red and black just did something to me. So I picked Milan. Uh, that was back then when they had uh, Ronaldinho, Beckham, Pirlo, you yep. name it. That, like, that was the, the dynasty team. Um, so I said to myself, you know, Miguel, you're going to support Mil Milan. And that was it. And then I was there for the Scudetto. And then now we're in the banter era. But through it all, I've been loyal. <laughs> you got to you got to see a trophy get lifted, though, at least. That's yeah, true. yeah. That's, true. That's yeah. good. That's good. Yeah. So uh, so well, welcome aboard. Um, I won't, you know, you know, Richard, I, I could, I could say something very, very easy here and, and, and blame Miguel for maybe being part of the reason why <laughs> era, new fans coming in and jumping on the bandwagon and making it a little hard for that thing to move. And the fact like that, that. He's, st he's sticking through the banter era says a lot about him and his, and his true allegiance. So, you know, it must yes. have been his faith, you know, the faith it's, that he is a Molinisti. The, the, yeah. the devotion is much appreciated. Absolutely. So, so thank you, thank you. You have, you have <laughs> suffered through uh, you've suffered through the likes of uh, Kevin Constant and oh my God, uh, let's not even talk about him. Uh, <laughs> Ricardo Montalivo is a captain that would get signed uh, to an extension, but we can't. Galliani doesn't want to keep Pirlo around, and uh, you know some of the most <laughs> still think th 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 this this crazy belief that Fernando Torres could actually still play. Hey, Lisa, uh, don't know why we him him, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we okay, could go okay, on. Honda calling Milan, telling them that if you know they need him, they know where to find him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Michael oh, Lisi's checking in with us. Ciao, Michael. Um, yeah, he th thought the same thing, Richard. I almost fainted. What did he think? What was he thinking about? What did I, what did I miss? Uh, the jersey behind you. They thought it was uh, Nerazzurri. Oh, okay, okay. All right. Nope. It's a it's a 2000 Italy Kappa. Uh, it was like kind of the uh, the really tight uh, jersey. I don't. Uh, my body really shape. Did. I don't try to wear that anymore. So <laughs> it's, just, it's much. It's much more. Much more attractive on a wall than it is on me. I can promise you that. So. <laughs> Shows so, the rails already. Yeah, it is. So let's start with today's action. Uh, we had the contenders in action to open up match week twenty nine. Um, we're going to get through match week twenty eight. My gosh. Uh, I mean, the goals, the goals itself can cover an entire podcast, uh, but let's, uh, let's talk about what went down match week 29 Lazio, uh, opened things up by traveling to Torino, um, a game that I found to be an interesting one, gentlemen, just because you have, you know, both of them on a quick turnaround. They both played Saturday Torino, you know, having to make the trip back from Sardinia where it was awfully hot, awfully muggy. And they had to, you know, you know, withstand getting beaten for two Lazio, um, arguably you could say escaped with three points against Fiorentina and yeah. we'll talk about those games. Um, so an interesting dynamic here and especially with Torino playing relatively well at home, especially since things op opened up again, they did get that draw against Parma. They beat Udinese. You've got Lazio who, all right, what did we really get? And are they going to be able to, are, we, are they going to be able to step up and beat a Torino team here now? Um, so uh, let's look at the lineups there. Uh, Sirigu was in goal. It was a back three of Lianco and Kulu and Bremer. Um, Diesel Vestri and Ola Aina were the wingbacks uh, with uh, Swalihu Mete, 
uh, Thomas Rincon and Sasa Lukic in midfield. Simone Verdi getting a start up front with Andrea Bellotti. So clearly the effects of what happened in Sardinia was uh, on Coach Longo's mind, Richard, because Berenguer's out, Edera's out. Both of them were playing relatively well in the games prior. Um, and this looked like it was a team that was set up to figure out, okay, uh, Verde will pull a lot of the strings, you know, and hope that we can get a lot out of him. And if we can't get it from him, you know, we'll get it from the wing backs. We'll get it from Di Silvestri. We'll get it from Aina, especially with the work rate that he offers on the left-hand side. And hopefully Belotti's on the end of all of this, finishing at least a couple. And that's, to me, the way it looked like they set out to play Lazio, Richard. Yeah, it really did. Uh, and it looked like, you know, a team that had not only had a game a couple after a few days, but uh, – the poor performance against Galilee, like you mentioned, um, they, they, they the manager had to change things up and um, bring in some fresh bodies that maybe had a little bit more hunger in it. Obviously, the captain's going to remain in it, Belotti, but uh, I think the, your description of you know having Verdi in there and some of those guys that they inserted to the lineup um, were inserted for a reason and hopefully, hopefully hoping that they would uh, be able to get a couple goals on Lazio, especially by Belotti. Uh, he is their, their their pouncer who gets you know all the opportunities there, and so. Um, that's, I had the exact same impression when I saw that lineup, uh, by, by, by Torino. Yep. And, uh, Miguel, we're talking about, uh, Lazio countering with, uh, pretty much an, uh, only one change and that was to their back three. They brought in Radu to start the game. Um, mm -hmm. but it was, uh, Strakoja, and then across the back was Patrick, uh, Acherby and Radu. Uh, Lazzari and Joni get their start on the, uh, on the wings again. And then it was, uh, the same midfield three. Luis Alberto, Marco Parolo, Sergei Milinkovic, Savic, and then you have Caicedo and Immobile. And a lot of this is because Lazio is relatively shorthanded with injuries. Um, mm -hmm. It left me feeling like, okay, Torino has the ability to change a little bit here and and still look decent. Lazio is going with the same guys. Let's see what kind of legs they have, especially this being their third game in less than a week. Um, were you concerned about Lazio maybe – going relatively unchanged coming into this one? Yeah, I mean, I was concerned. You know, Lazio is a team that doesn't have that much depth. They they like to play with the core players that they have in Barolo, um, Luis Alberto, Milinkovic Savage, Casado, Immobile. Like, that is the core for their team. Um, as to the injuries, you know, injuries happen. Like, you, there's nothing you can do about it. But I think that because they don't have that depth, they're being forced to play their star players and it's coming back to bite them. You know, uh, Caicedo and Immobile both got yellow cards today against Torino and they'll be suspended against their next game at Milan, which can potentially shift the race for the Scudetto. Was particularly surprising. I would have thought, and I get what Johnny can bring to the table for Lazio. I thought maybe this is one where you played Jordan Lukaku from the start, especially with Di Silvestri on the other side, his ability to come forward and cross. You know, Lukaku's got a little little more rangy, a little bit more athletic, and certainly will defend better than Johnny and can deal with that a little bit. And you maybe nullify that with what Torino bring going forward on that flank. Um, but ultimately, and, and then ultimately you can take your chances on being successful in some of these other uh, in some of these other areas with the midfield, with the playmaking of Luis Alberto, with what Milinkovic Savic can do, with what Lazzari can do on the right. So um, so it was a weird it was it was an interesting one for me that they went relatively unchanged. Um, it would be Torino that would get uh, off to a successful start, not even five minutes into the game. 
Uh, and Kolu goes for the acrobatic, uh, and it strikes Immobile's hand. Um, they give a penalty. They give a they give Immobile a yellow. Um, yeah. yeah. Here's my take, and I'll, uh, I'll I'll turn it to you guys as far as the actual infraction. Penalty, fine. Yeah, it was a handball. Yellow card, that was harsh. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I agree with that too. I think uh, you know he certainly had the intention of trying to block the shot and get in the way and maybe knock over the the, the attacker. But a yellow is a little bit harsh. I think uh, you know it's just like you know, hey, you committed a foul. Oh, by the way, here's a yellow too for your troubles. Uh, how'd you feel, Miguel, on that? Yeah, I'd have to agree with you guys. I think that the yellow card was a bit harsh, uh, knowing that Immobile is also on this yellow card streak, uh, which led to his suspension. I feel like some of the yellow cards that were given to some of the Lazio players in today's games were unnecessary. Um, but again, like sometimes the referee sees things from a certain angle and it looks different. Um, but I don't understand like why we have VAR and, you know, the VAR people can't check and be like, hey, ref, that wasn't a yellow card. Like we don't see any intent in that. They could have easily been like, Immobile's yellow card is revoked, you know, but they didn't do that. So it was harsh. And we do have Michael in the chat who's our resident referee. So I'd like his input if he is hearing this. Um, I don't think VAR can overturn yellow cards. I think they can overturn, they over, they're there to overturn red cards. Uh, mm. But Michael can probably confirm that for me. But yeah, there was an intent there. It hit his hand. Um, you know, I mean, if anything, it was going to be awfully difficult for, um, for him to try to get it out of the way. Uh, yeah. But nonetheless, uh, Andrea Belotti makes no mistake. Uh, Miguel uh, bags the penalty. Um, I think it goes a long way when you're keeping – I mean, t he, he had a penalty saved uh, against Parma uh, by Sepe. And I think that, that it, it says a lot about a manager when he's going to be able to keep his confidence in a star man in that situation and say, hey, I've got faith in you. You'll get this one. Go ahead and take it. Um, so, uh, And really, I think it's also coupled with the fact that I don't think there's any – Verdi might be able to take one, but after that, I don't, wouldn't have a lot of confidence in anybody else out there. But no Zaza. Uh, <laughs> what's that? Well, Zaza, Zaza wasn't in the game. Otherwise, I'd have been like, man, you got to let him take it after Belotti missed against Parma. But uh, cool penalty, and Torino's up 1-0, and this probably plays into their strategy for the game. Yeah. So um, the rest of the first half, guys, uh, it's – I felt like Lazio had the ball more than 53% of the time. Do you? I agree. Yeah, I do too. I totally I, agree. I think it's uh, it, you know, a little bit of the eyes playing tricks on you. Maybe yeah. that, you know, it seemed that you know a lot of the opportunities are going for Lazio, but it also seems like Lazio have been shooting themselves in the foot as of late. They're making things. I was talking to Miguel before the podcast, and I think they're making things a little bit more difficult than they have to. And uh, they're forced to come back in games. They can do it, sure. Uh, but and that's why maybe they'll get more possession, or at least it looks like there's more possession because they're going, they're attacking more, getting more opportunities on net, but. Uh, unnecessarily making it difficult on themselves by going down early in games. Uh, we didn't see that early in the season with them, and all of a sudden now they're giving up goals early in games and forcing themselves to come back, um, with the exception of the Atalanta game. And we thought that, and 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 uh, the Caicedo yellow, um, we found that we found that to be harsh as well, didn't we? And now we're talking about, as you mentioned, Miguel uh, Chiro Immobile and uh, Felipe Caicedo will be suspended for the match at home against Milan uh, this weekend. That's 
that's a lot to ask. Um, without both of those guys available up front, you're probably going to have Luis Alberto moving up a little bit, and mm-hmm. then you know partnering with Joaquin Correa. Yeah. Um, because uh, uh, I'm just trying to get the guy's last name. Hang in there with me, Bobby. Uh, Bobby Adekanye. That's his yeah. name. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's still out. So that would have been your only other option. So you're going to see a lot of, um, you know, you're, you're not going to see a real target presence for Lazio and it's going to, you know, Simone Anzaghi is going to have to get, get, get pretty creative with how he's going to be able to navigate through that game against Milan this weekend. Yeah, it's going to be a tough one for them, but I think that with the amount of experience that Lazio has in that squad, I feel like they can be able to pull something together and not look too bad against Milan. Um, mm-hmm. Again, me, uh, Lazio came into the season just aiming for Champions League, and now they're Scudetto contenders. So I feel like they also play with that mentality like, hey, like we're not here to win a Scudetto, but if we can try, we will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My question to you guys, do you think uh, in, with, with the strikers that are out, there's you know three strikers that are out of this game, um, really leaving one. Do you think Inzaghi at all deviates from his from his tactics? You know, he loves the, he loves this formation that he uses, but it, do you think it's time to actually change something else and maybe have one one striker up top and and overload that midfield or something? What do you guys think? I don't think so. I, I mean, he's 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 indebted in that system. Yeah. Um. You know, and I think that uh, I think it would be I think it would be worse for Lazio if he tries to do something different in terms of a formation. I think he's just going to stick to a three five two of some sort and just take his chances, um, you know, with Correa being successful up front and being able to do some things. Um, it's probably going to change how they're going to set up tactically. I could see them allowing Milan to have more of the ball and then see if they can counter off of that. But we'll, you know, we'll certainly have to see. So um, we got some feedback here from Michael here. Uh, I think some refs just automatically give a yellow on a hand in the box. It's nowhere in the rules or anything. I don't think there was any intent whatsoever no yellow in his opinion, as 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 we said, there was no yellow there. I can't think of an instance where a yellow was rescinded, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. Perhaps if he played for you, fate dot dot dot. Martino Puccio checking in with us uh, from the State of Play Pod. Martino, ciao, welcome. Welcome, sir. So uh, let's see. So it was one nil at halftime in favor of Torino. Um, really, like I said, I mean. I go back and I look at these stats and I'm shocked that Lazio had only 53% of the possession. I could have swore they had more. Um, I don't, they obviously didn't carve out a lot of quality chances. I know they had the, the Acherby goal that was ruled offside, uh, which was a good call. Um, Immobile had a couple of great chances that on other occasions, you see him finish those. He blasted both of them over the bar. Um, So yeah, Little bit, little bit worrying uh, that Lazio hadn't broken down Torino, but at the same time, I think Torino kept it all in front of them and didn't really give anything crazy away. Uh, Miguel, what do you think of Torino defensively in the first half? I think that in the first half, Torino did a really good job defensively. Um, getting that uh, early goal, uh, I think it gave them a boost, a mental edge against Lazio. Um, the previous game where they lost 4-2, um, you could see that the defense just kind of dismantled mid-game. They were okay, and then they just started to pull away, and it turned from worse into worst. Um, so I think in the first half, they really controlled the game. Like They were really making it hard for Lazio to create anything. 
but after that that first half it just went to hell like I don't know if they got tired or what it was but they started to just let Lazio control the game they gave them possession and Lazio kept fighting they kept fighting to the end yep I'm actually shocked at the way Torino came out there in a good way. Uh, after the result against Galeri, I fully expected Torino to, you know, just let Lazio do whatever they want in the first half and then it's try to soak up all the pressure. And they, you know, they got the early goal. That helps. Oh, that always helps. Uh, but I thought, like, I agree with Miguel. I was, I was, uh, it was a good tactic by Torino and they executed it fairly well in that first half. Yeah, they did. And they did. They created, they created some chances going forward. Nothing, nothing incredibly dangerous. Um, I mean, on the whole of the game, I thought we'd get a hell of a lot more out of Lorenzo uh, Di Silvestri than we did. I thought he was terrible. Yeah. Um, and I thought Aina underperformed. Um, I mean, I think he was, I think he was hard. I think he worked hard. Um, but I don't, there wasn't a whole lot of style to what he did. Uh, you know, so I yeah. thought, I thought that Torino had a chance to have an edge in those positions. Um, and it, it, it didn't come through for them. I think you know, Di Silvestri was worse than Aina, in my opinion, in those spots. Um, but in the second half, uh, they would get their goal, Lazio, to level the match. That that fabulous, uh, well-known connection that they have, Luis Alberto finding Chiro Immobile and Chiro Immobile putting it home, uh, 1-1. Um, uh, Miguel, I, I don't know if you've been following us all season, but way back in the preseason, I picked Chiro Immobile uh, to be Cabo mm-hmm. Canonieri, and here we are. Yeah. I remember that. Um, yeah, I feel like Immobile is very underappreciated. He's very slept on. Um, the guy has Syria experience. You saw how he blew up um, that one season in Torino, and that's what you know got him a move away from Italy. But when he moved away from Italy, he struggled. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Then he came back, and he came back, and he's been able to score twenty plus goals every season. So. Yeah. You, you can't underappreciate that. Like, look at Milan. Like, we don't have a striker that can score 20 goals a season, and it hurts us. Right, right. Uh, Richard, that Manny Mobley again. Yeah, uh, and, it, and uh, he's uh, continued to do what you know, he, he has been doing in the league, like Miguel said, and he just scores goals. He bangs them in, and um, he can do it a variety of different ways. And, uh, you know, he had the great two great opportunities early in the first half where he shot him over the bar, but yeah, he was there right place, right time. And, uh, as always, when he scores, you give us our, uh, our, our frequent reminders about who picked the cup of Kanye him, who, who picked him. In it. No, that's, uh, I think I tweeted, I think I tweeted out after every time he scores. Yeah. Yeah. I never, I never miss a moment. <laughs> so we see those tweets a lot this year in the last year. Cause he scores a lot. So, yep. So he's, uh, you know, he scored against uh, Fiorentina. We'll talk about in the, that in a little bit, but we'll, we'll go to the Immobile tracker. He's got 29 on the season. It's a pretty easy track to make. He's averaging a goal per game. So he's on pace for 38, mm. which would break Gonzalo Higuain's record. Uh, I mean, there was a point earlier in the season where he was on pace for like 44 yeah. or something yeah. ridiculous like that. So the break, um, hurt him, I think, the break hurt him for sure. Yeah, he's also yeah, I did. That, you know. It was just nice to see him score on the run of play. I mean, I thought in the Fiorentina game he struggled. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, and then it took the penalty for him to come alive and get in, get into the game a little bit more. Uh, here he was active. He put a couple over the bar. He did, did, like I said, I, I think you see him finish at least one of those. And we're talking about being 1-1 at halftime. But, uh, you know, in this case, he took his chance and, and he took it well. And, I mean, Lazio owned the second half, guys. Uh, I mean, the possession was still relatively flat, uh, but many more chances going uh, to Simone and Zaghi's men. Um, and uh, the winner would come from the unlikeliest of sources, Miguel, uh, Marco Parolo, uh, putting Lazio ahead 2-1. Really just a, 
an opportunistic finish from him. Yeah, I've I've seen this a lot from Lazio. Um, when they are either a goal down or they're tied, they seem to manage to find a way to just strike the ball into the net. As you can see, like from the play that occurred, like Immobile was about to try to take a shot and he jumped out the way and Parolo shot and they took the deflection and Sirigo was in the middle of the net and he really couldn't move at that moment and it mm-hmm. went to the net and it worked in their favor. I think deflection when a, when a goal for a goalie that's got to be the most difficult play because you're you you fully committed to go one direction and try to stop the ball it deflects and you're just help you're helpless you, what, yep. what can you do you know yep yep uh I, after forty five minutes I was ready to make after the first forty five minutes I was ready to make Luis Alberto a flop hmm. um but boy I mean the the goal and the assist the, the assist on uh, <laughs> Uh, Chiro Immobile, and I thought the second half, I thought he was outstanding, and he went from being somebody that you only knew, noticed he was out there when he was on a set piece to the second half, he he took control of the game, and I think that that paid big dividends uh, for Lazio. What did you guys think? Uh, I'll, let the, I'll let the guests go first. Uh, I agree. Uh, Luis Alberto has really shown his quality this season. Um, we know from previous seasons that he's really good off set pieces, um, he's a great distributor, but as you can see, the partnership and the chemistry that he has with Immobile is really something special. Um, if you watch the game, you could see how Immobile would get the ball and he'd pass it immediately to Alberto, and you'd see Immobile sprinting down the wing, getting in the right position, just waiting for a pass. Yeah. And I think that this is like really the beauty of Lazio because that was not really expected this season. You know, people just thought, oh, it's Lazio, you know, maybe they'll get fifth, maybe they'll get fourth. Um, But they really come out to show that the chemistry that they have within their squad is really what's taking them this far this season. Definitely. Definitely. Um, The midfield as a whole was very good here, guys. I thought, uh, obviously, Parolo getting the goal, he he came through. I thought Sergei did a very nice job, too. I thought it was. I thought it was a very good. I thought he struggled against Fiorentina, um, but he found a lot more space and operated a lot better in this game. So, you know, those guys came through, and I thought they got a good game out of Manuel Lazzotti. He's another one that I, that for me struggled against Fiorentina, but came up uh, big. He kept pumping crosses in on the right hand side, kept getting forward, and was an extra threat. And when you've got somebody operating and doing that on a flank, that makes it, especially in a three-five-two, that starts giving a little more freedom to guys like Sergey and Luis Alberto in the midfield. Now they can they can do their thing a little bit. They've got a little more room to work with because you're able to get that position on that side and you're able to be a threat with your crosses. And you know, Lizzotti didn't hit anything, but just the fact that he was there, I think, gave Torino some trouble. You know, on the other side. Um, you know, Belotti getting the goal, and uh, I know. So our friend Michael Lisi, who's with us, said Belotti's got to get out of there. Time, <laughs> the time is he's too good for the he's too good for that team. Yeah, I get it. Um, well, well, Cairo let him though. You know, well, he, last time they tried to leave, uh, they put a tag of like what eighty million euros on him. Yeah, yeah he was trying to go to United. Yeah, so it, it's not going to come cheap, no matter if nope. you know if he wants to leave. So I mean, he's a captain now. I mean, I don't know. He should go. I agree. He should go to a better club, but it's going to be awfully hard with Cairo. Um, yeah. pick a team in Serie A where you think it it works perfectly. Uh, if Belotti were to move on from Torino, I mean, we we can easily say our team. Yeah. 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 Okay, but you know, because you got 
Rebic isn't really a striker. Um, Ibra's not going to be there forever, obviously. So that's a, that's an obvious one. Um, but I almost I I think Roma's per, Roma would be a would be excellent yeah. for him in that setup. Jacko's not going to last forever, right? Uh, and he he can do all the things that Jacko does and a little bit more. He's very well rounded. He's he's probably the, well, we've talked about this before between him and the comparison between him and Immobile and how we think. Uh, Bilotti is actually more well-rounded than Immobile is, and yeah. uh, his his talent, his skill set would come out in that Roma Roma lineup. I think with all the, I know Jerry Mancini and the rest of the Laziali would probably hate us saying that, uh, going to their rivals. But I, I think if it's nicely there with the youngsters there, and uh, you know he can run too, and he's he it would fit. I think the best out of anybody, maybe outside of Milan. Sure. <laughs> um, disappointed with Simone Verdi, and he exited pretty early. Like I said, I thought the the, the wing backs for Torino were struggled um and then the midfield as the game wore on just got outplayed by Lazio's midfield uh so um you know cut and dry I mean I think that we we will we'll talk about what happened with Lazio and the win over Fiorentina and that maybe they escaped with three points here but I think uh in this case these are three deserved points uh going to Torino and getting the win like this so um and they for a little for a fleeting moment are back to a point behind Juve Richard yeah. Yeah, very. Geno and Juventus met at the Marassi. Why don't you break that one down for us? Yeah, it was a uh, it was an interesting game. You know, many people thought, uh, many wondered if uh, Genoa could you know take a point away from Juventus, uh, give Lazio that hope that they need so much. Because let's be let's be honest, if uh, you if Lazio wins out all the way out, it still doesn't matter. They need Juventus to drop points here and there. So um, they're hoping that maybe Genoa could do that. Uh, it did not happen though in this game. Uh, this was the uh, Juventus show. Uh, let, let's look at the lineups real quick in this game because uh, it's pretty standard, mostly for 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 Juve. But let's you know let's look at it real quick. Uh, in, in net, obviously Chesney's going to be in goal. Uh, in the defense, you had Cuadrado, Delic, Bonucci, and Danilo. Uh, in the midfield, you had Bentancourt, Pjanic, and Rabiot. And then up top, you had Bernadeschi, Debala, and Ronaldo. Miguel, uh, fairly standard lineup for for Juventus. Uh, nothing there shocked me. How did you feel looking at that lineup going into this game against Genoa? Yeah, I don't think anything in that lineup really shocked me. I think right now we know that DiBala and Ronaldo are probably Juve's two best players. Um, they always seem to find a way to step up and, and get the job done. Ronaldo with the assist, DiBala with the goals. Um, Delict is really he's really made a turn from the beginning of the season where he made so many mistakes, but now he seems like he's more disciplined and he really knows what he's doing in the back line. Um, as for the rest of the players, they know their roles. Uh, some of them get swapped out every now and then in the lineup. So nothing really surprised me there. Yeah, it was a fairly center lineup, I thought. Uh, but, then, you know, speaking of center lineups, let's go to the, the Genovese side, Genovese side, because uh, Frank, uh, Mattia Perrin is going to be in goal, which is which is the obvious there. But you know their defense wasn't that great. Uh, you had Romero, uh, Sumaro, Masiello, uh, then you had uh, Gilione, Barami, Shone, Sturaro, Mister Twenty Five Million Dollar Man here, um, Casata, Pinamonte, and Favili. That lineup wasn't uh, well. The attacking the attacking end maybe could provide something uh, that the defense was lacking in it, and it showed big time in this game. I could. 
I said on Twitter, I said I could probably put down three training cones and they could defend better than that Genoa back three. <laughs> um, but I mean, and we talked about this last week, Richard. Who on this Genoa team scares you? Okay. Um, that's a little, you know. Apparently, they scared Brescia because they came back and tied them. But I mean, yeah. <laughs> what's Brescia? You've got a Juventus connection with this team too. You got Panin and Gold. You've got Sturaro, and then you've got Pinamonte and Favilli. All, uh, and then I believe Romero is on loan at Genoa, owned by Juventus and on loan at Genoa, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so it was kind of almost like uh, Juventus against their against their B team. Um, is you know basically the way you could look at this game. Uh, but um, you know a good opportunity for at least for those five players to audition to prove that they belong in the, you know, belong in the full squad for next season. Uh, so a great opportunity for all of them. Um, but, um, you know, and, and, you know, Perrin is probably too good. Michael just asked, dare I say, dare I say Belotti underneath Lukaku if Latara moves on? No, don't say it. Um, <laughs> don't say it because it wouldn't work. Um, That's right. Nothing there would work. So, uh, but you know, you, so, and I think I can't remember who said it on Twitter, but they said that Andrea Pinamonte is auditioning. Well, you had five guys there auditioning, uh, in hopes of being able to be full-time at Juventus. I believe that Romero got sold to Genoa. I can't confirm that or, or, or any of that. Storaro is, is there permanently too, but, um, but <laughs> you look at this and you're just like, well, if you they can't score on these guys, then they really have a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And well, you know, you say that, uh, but uh, it went into halftime 0 0. Genoa was surprisingly keeping uh, Juve, albeit maybe not all their fault. It is probably more than Juventus uh, missing in Perrin, making some saves here and there. Uh, but 0 0 into halftime, and, you know, it was giving some Laziale hope, some, some uh, anti Juve fans uh, hope that maybe uh, a draw would be in the makings of this. Um, oh, this, uh, to have that little hope and then get it all taken away. Um, what we had here in the second half is just uh, every Juventus player pr- pretty much one-upping themselves. Uh, first in the 50th minute, Paulo Dybala with a great, great goal. Uh, followed that up just six minutes later. Cristiano Ronaldo, he, he says, well, okay, I see what you did. Here, here's my goal. Uh, and then top it all off in the 73rd minute, Douglas Costa with a sensational left-footed shot. Um, three three good goals, gentlemen. Uh, it, it's hard to, to say that, uh, you know, Genoa did get a, a consolation goal through Pinamonte, but you know this is all about Juventus. Uh, you know they gave they gave people some hope, you know, just for a half or a little bit over that. But uh, they proved they proved against Genoa that they can they can score goals when they need to. They can uh, make a statement when they have to. And of those three goals, Frank, which of those three were your favorites? Oh, I mean they were all great. I'll, I'm I'm going to go with Douglas Costa's goal. I thought the degree of difficulty on that was the bend. I mean, oh yeah. Um, Dybala, once he got into that space, you knew what the result was going to be. Yeah. Um, it was still, you know, relatively poor defending from Genoa for, to allow him to get into that space. Masiello is probably the most responsible there. Um, and then uh, on the Ronaldo goal, how much more does the back three need to drop off? <laughs> Right. I mean, and and listen, I'm going to give Ronaldo credit. That was a hell of a finish. Okay. That was a hell of a finish. Of course. Um, But uh, Suamaro has to know that Masiello is coming over 
to give him an angle, to give him a supporting angle. And he's got to step up and he never does. And he allows Ronaldo a chance to prepare the ball and strike it. So you got two defenders that, and granted, I don't think they've had a lot of games together. So they're clearly not on the same page. Um, you know, and I thought it was, I mean, you got three guys back there. If you throw Romero into this mix and you really can't blame Romero for any of this, cause nothing happened on his, on his side of that back three, but you got three guys here that maybe on their own, they're all good individually, but as a unit, they're they're poor and um you know do, does my tune change about juventus's struggles in attack after scoring four against lecce and scoring three against genoa well they scored four against Le- milan scored four against lecce 11 v 11 okay yeah. juve scored juve scored four lecce had to get down to 10 men before juve started scoring and it took lecce making an awful mistake playing out of the back to get the scoring started um you know, so you got to kind of start breaking down where some of this stuff is going on. Um, Parma, or I mean, sorry, not Parma. Genoa, this is goals th- third game back, and this is goals seven, eight, and nine that they've given up since coming back. And on- okay. honestly, there would have been a lot more goals for Juventus if it wasn't for Mattia Perrin. He had six saves in this game alone. Yeah, he he was a big reason why this game wasn't ten nothing. Uh, Juventus, you know, put shot after shot, and he just came up big for them, and they still lost. You know, he's probably the only guy you can't blame on that team for for playing poor. Right. Uh, every, other, every other player, especially that defense, they were horrific. Yeah, they were. Um, I thought oh, Pinamonte obviously took his chance really well. Yeah. And I thought Scherner was okay, but he's another guy that I you, you left Ajax for that. <laughs> you know, you just scratch your head. So he has to be getting. Perezzi also has to be giving him a lot of money that we don't know about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Promising him a uh, patania pasta, you know. If you want all the wine you want, if you come here. <laughs> oh my! Well, that game ended three-one, um, and Juventus cemented their four-point lead, uh, continued four-point lead over Lazio in this one. And I know uh, many people are starting to wonder if the, if the Scudetto race is over. I don't think so. Um, you know, I've, Frank and I have talked about this several times throughout the year. Uh, uh, Miguel, I'm wondering, what are your thoughts about the Scudetto race? Do you think that it is over with the four-point lead? Do you think Lazio still has an opportunity? Do you think maybe Inter or, or Atlanta have an outside chance? What are your thoughts on, on the whole Scudetto thing? I really think that the Scudetto race is not over, and I really think it won't be over until the last match day. Um, given the conditions that the players are playing in, it's very hot. It's summer now. Um, players have to deal with rotation because they're playing every three days. So you're trying to avoid injuries um, and whatnot. And then you also have to think about teams who have bounced back from this break. For example, Milan. Uh, Milan, before the break, they were up in the air. You were confused. Like, you didn't know what to expect. Milan, after the break, they look like they know what they're doing and they're trying to make a statement. same thing with Napoli. Napoli before the break were in shambles and Gattuso has managed to fix it and bring them back to a Napoli side that wants to compete and they won the Coppa Italia. Yeah. Lazio's running is relatively softer. Mm-hmm. That's why I give him a chance. You know what the other thing is? Is you know, for all those people who are saying this race is over, Juve still have to play Atalanta and Lazio. That's right. six that possible that could get closed on really quick. So that's yep. the reason why we're not going to say it's over because anything can happen. We see what Atalanta can score on anybody. 
apparently. They oh, both yeah. get me. They both get Milan. Um, Juve also finishes at home against Roma, and uh, uh, Lazio finishes against Napoli. So it's interesting that on their last match days, they each have a tricky opponent to play. Yeah. Um. So, but I think I looked at Lazio's running, and I saw Brescia. I saw Lecce. Um, I saw some some of the teams at the bottom. Uh, you know, they both are got they both have to play Sassuolo yet. Um, who are a charity right now defensively. Um, fun part is is they can score a lot of goals too, so they get interest. They get interesting. I've been telling friends now. I said, look, if you don't have a dog in the hunt, and you want to watch. I mean, you you wa- can watch Atalanta, but I'm telling you, you might not know who they are. You might not be able to point it out on a map, but watch a Sassuolo game. Yeah, you're going to be they entertained. Average four goals a game. Yeah, yeah. Fun, fun bad. They give fun up bad too, but <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. They're our fun bad. They're our fun bad team. They're 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 so bad, but they're so fun. Plus, <laughs> they got the fourth sub. You know, it's they're really fun to watch. You know, and it's uh, there's a, there's very few teams that have a front three as good as they do. Obviously, Atalanta and you know a couple other of the big big time clubs, but and they're fun to watch. And uh, the passing that Zerbi has, that game, the style that the Zerbi has in playing is is just uh, it's hard not to watch them. Lazio yeah. has to win that game at Juventus. Has to. I because I, I mean what you're looking at right now is it's a four point gap and there's nine games left and you have to figure I mean and and Lazio does have an easier run in but they have to be five points better than Juve from here on out I don't know how they do that without beating them at the J they which, can't yeah. in my opinion they can't drop points here on out right and have to hope that Juve drop not only to them but also to Atalanta and maybe somebody else who knows but um, yeah they can't afford any more mistakes that Atalanta game that they blew. Uh, could haunt them the Scudetto at the end. I think we have a race, but I think it's awfully hard uh, for Lazio to overcome that to overcome that gap. Yeah, um, with so few games. But then to Miguel's point was, which is excellent. We're playing in much different conditions now. There's rotations. There's teams playing every three days. There's mm-hmm. there's just different set of circumstances in a much different environment than what we uh, are, are normally accustomed to dealing with. So. Mm-hmm. So yeah, what chat? What do you think? Do we still have a title race? Uh, those of you listening, go to at City. I sit down on Twitter or Instagram. Is the title race still on? Uh, can Lazio close this gap, or uh, is is Juventus going to uh, lift this uh, trophy for a ninth straight time? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Mr. Bob Lex is chiming in, saying can't see Lazio doing it, unfortunately. So um, it's a uh, it's going to be a tough ask, that's for sure. So, um, but that is what happened today with the title contenders to kick off match week twenty nine. Let's do a rewind back to match week twenty eight. We got a lot of goals to cover, guys. Yes, we do. Yes. All right, and I got writer's cramp writing down all the uh, scores and uh, goal scores. So, um, <laughs> the action kicked off on Friday. Juventus was playing host to Lecce and uh, a Lucioni red card. Uh, in the first half, set the tone for the second half. Lecce trying to play out of the back with 10 men, uh, did so irresponsibly. It fell nicely to Ronaldo. Ronaldo dr- pl- plays it to Dybala. Dybala scores 1-0. Uh, Penaldo shows up, scores in the 62nd minute uh, to make it 2-0 to Juve. Uh, Gonzalo Higuain coming on as a substitute. Great moment for him to score in the 83rd minute All with all he's going through off the pitch. And uh, Matias Delic in the 85th wrapping it up for the old lady. I'm going to get through the scores and we'll talk about all of them after here, guys. Brescia hosting Genoa. 
Uh, a bit of a relegation six-pointer, although we think Brescia is down. Uh, but they weren't going down without a fight. Uh, Donnarumma scoring in the 10th minute, followed by a goal by Semprini in the 13th minute. Uh, Genoa would claw back on a couple of penalties. Iago Falke in the 38th and Andrea Pinamonti in the 70th. Um, the game that was on ESPN here in the States is the one that would probably catch your attention on Saturday. Cality 4, Torino 2, Naita Nandez with a goal of the week candidate in the 12th minute. Uh, Giovanni Simeone in the 17th that it was originally uh, not called. They went to VAR and um, reviewed it. You guys saw that goal. I think they got it. I think VAR got that one right. Did you? Yeah. They got it right. Okay. That put Cagliari ahead uh, 2-0. They'd make it 3-0 uh, just after halftime. The Ninja getting on the board, Raja Nainggolan, in the 46th minute. Uh, Torino would pull a couple back, uh, first through Bremer off of a set piece uh, in the 60th minute, and then Andrea Belotti with a goal of the week candidate in the 65th. Uh, a Joao Pedro penalty just four minutes after that would put this out of reach. Um Finally, on Saturday, it was Lazio 2, Fiorentina 1, uh, Frank Ribéry, goal of the week candidate. Ribéry was excellent in this game. Uh, pity they had to take him out. Um, 25th minute, and uh, that uh, put Fiorentina ahead until the 67th minute where uh, an incident where uh, Felipe Caicedo is brought down in the penalty area by the goalkeeper, Dugrovsky. Apparently, uh, that giving Lazio a penalty. Uh Immobile would convert that and score. That would be his 28th goal. We already talked about his 29th. 1-1, um, quick sidebar, gentlemen. Uh, a lot of uh, back and forth about whether or not that was a penalty. I thought it was, actually. Um, I thought there was just enough contact from Dragovsky to give that. Uh, what did you guys think? Well, uh, for me, uh, it was difficult. Caicedo uh, is my boy, so I'm going to usually trust him anything he does. Mm -hmm. And I did when I initially saw it live. I said, oh, that's a penalty there, no doubt about it. I started watching replays, and the more I watched the replays, the more I said, you know what, I don't think Dragowski, I think they, they ran into each other. I think Dragowski pulled his leg back, and there was con contact as you would get in football, um, and I didn't think it was deserving of a of a penalty. Initially, like I said, initially I thought it was, but when once I saw the replays over and over again, I, I, I got convinced that I thought it was a bad, bad penalty, and uh, mm. fortunate, definitely fortunate for Lazio. Okay, Miguel? Yeah, I'd have to agree with Richard. Um, I thought that it was a penalty initially and, again, started watching the replays. And, yeah, you can see, like, there's contact, but it also seems like Caicedo also goes down to the floor a little too easily. Yeah. So it does look like it's not a penalty, but the penalty was given and Lazio benefit from it. Yep. Yeah. And uh, Luis Alberto would get the winner in the 82nd uh, to give Lazio a key two to one win. Um, Richard, you want to take the rest? Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll go to a game that's uh, near and dear to all of us, uh, at least uh, all of us here on the on this podcast tonight. Uh, Milan uh, hosting Roma, and uh, yeah, it was uh, um, a game that was gonna, always going to be a difficult game, a tight game. Uh, two two squads very similar in, in form and and quality on the pitch. Um, I thought before the game that you know, based on Milan's form, that they had a really good opportunity to win this game if they continue playing that way. But you know, this game had all the makings of a draw, uh, and it, and it it seemed like it was, for the longest time that it was going to be like that. It went to halftime zero zero. Um, 
you know, many wondered. Rebic is fairly quiet in the game. He, he had some opportunities here and there, but, you know, both both squads really were canceling each other out. And it looked like, uh, I remember during the game on Twitter, you know, we were talking back and forth, and it seemed like this two teams in a training session really, you know, no, no, not really caring about anything. But uh, it, Milan decided to wake up in, uh, in the 74th minute. The man in, the man in form equals in the last nine games now, Ante Rebic, uh, he scores a goal, gives Milan the lead. Uh, and that was the lead that they would not relinquish uh, Hakan Chalanolu in the in the 89th, I guess it was. Uh, he gets a penalty to make it two nothing, but really it was Ante Rebic uh, getting a goal, getting another goal for Milan. Uh, they get they get to win two nothing at Roma. Big big three points for them for them to catch up to Roma. Uh, unfortunately for them, uh, Napoli played against Spal. Uh, Napoli is a team that's ahead of Milan in in the current uh, standings for the the fight for Europa League. Uh, and so early on, Jesus Merchants gets a goal in the fourth minute, a beautiful chip shot over the keeper. But the referee blows his whistle, says offsides. Uh, they go to VAR, and I think VAR got it right once again. A good goal for Dries Mertens. They go up one nothing there. Uh, and then in the 46th uh, – oh, actually, excuse me, in uh, maybe 20 minutes later after that, um, the guy who's going to be at Napoli next season, Andrea Petagna, he equalizes, makes a 1-1. Uh, he gets a nice pass, and I don't remember who had the, who gave him the assist, but beautiful pass to him, and he caught it in stride. Low corner, pass Meret. Uh, made it one-one. Made it interesting. Went to halftime by that score. Uh, they, have great, they have great pies in Napoli. <laughs> That's why I say he was motivated. He's motivated, Frank. <laughs> uh, coming out of the half, uh, Kaya Hohen gets a goal really early uh, in the 46th minute. Uh, makes it two to one then. And then uh, to cap things off, uh, I mean Yunus. Shortly after getting subbed on, he gets the goal in the 76th minute or so. Uh, makes it three-one. A, a very good victory for Napoli. Napoli inch closer to Roma and uh, continue their gap between them and Milan in that fight for the last uh, European spot. Uh, they're actually aiming for the fifth spot at this moment, but uh, 3-1 for Napoli. Moving on to Sampdoria and Bologna. Uh, this game was uh, very low scoring uh, for the most part of the game. 70 minutes of the game, there was no goals, but uh, we got a penalty by Musabaro in the 72nd minute, getting the goal, make it a 1-0. A couple minutes later, uh, Orsolini follows it up with a goal, make it 2-0. Sampdoria would peg one back through Bonazzoli. A 2-1 final there for Bologna. Uh, another game of the weekend. It always seems to involve these two clubs, especially Sassuolo as of late. Uh, Miguel mentioned that they scored four goals a game. They came pretty close in this one. Uh, oh, they went over it. Well, no, over combined, yes. Combined, yes. Yeah, combined. Combined over, <laughs> over yes. Uh, scoring started in the 51st minute. Lazovic gets the goal. Uh, followed that up by Jeremy Boga. Uh, he got once, not twice. He, he was scoring the 77th minute, but in between his two goals, Stepinski would get a goal. Uh, as well as Piscina. Uh, just when it looked like Sassuolo was maybe going to lose this one to, to Hellas Verona, a good Hellas Verona squad, uh, they would get one late uh, through Bogerio, uh, make it 3-3. Uh, Sassuolo can score. I mean, Hellas is one of those teams that has strong defense, but, man, Sassuolo, is, uh, they, they can find goals now, and it, uh, it's so fun to watch. Another team that's fun to watch, though, is Atalanta. They would host Udinese. It seemed like a pretty cut-and-dry game. However, Udinese decided to play in this one. Uh, Zapata scored a goal early in the game, a nice, nice goal, making one nothing. Uh, but Kevin Lasagna showed up, a rare Kevin Lasagna sighting this season. He scored a 21st minute, make it 1-1. Luis Muriel, uh, he gets a fantastic free kick goal in the 71st minute, make it 2-1. Uh, moment m- minutes later, he followed up with another sensational long-range goal, making it 3-1. Lasagna would get a consolation goal, another one to make it 3-2, but. Uh, Atalanta come away with victors once again. And then um, a big matchup, a game I thought was going to be a trap matchup. I told Alden Dristi, 
that I said, you know, don't look ahead to Atalanta, who's next week. Parma is a good squad, and Parma gave it to him early on. Uh, Gervinho, who abused Candreva all game long, um, he, he, got a, he got a goal early in the 15th minute. Uh, Parma had to leave for the longest amount of time. Uh, it wasn't until late. Inter uh, struggled to get any kind of uh, good opportunities in this game, but uh, in the 84th minute, De Vrij off a header. It was a header to a header. Uh, Latura off the corner, heads it to De Vrij. De Vrij get, heads it back into the net, makes a 1-1. And then uh, the defense continued to uh, hurt Parma uh, late in the game. Uh, great, great play by Moses. One on one with the defender, he gets a looping, uh, looping pass over the top to a wide open Bastoni. I mean, no one within uh, ten feet of him, including the goalie. Uh, easy back to goal for Bastoni. Two one Inter win. That would wrap up all the games of the weekend. Yeah, um, gosh, that Bastoni goal was just so stupid. It was. Um, I mean, it was, uh, and, and I'm not doing this to hate Inter. Bob Lex, goals of plenty. Yeah, very much so. Um, okay, so Moses has the ball kind of in the corner of the penalty area. There's two Parma players there. And for whatever reason, they both drop off and give him room to cross. And then it's what's worse, nobody's got, nobody picks up Bastoni on the back end. I mean, it was just, it was just neglected defending on the part of Parma, um, you know, just in that space of those four minutes and it had nothing to do with Kucha getting the red card and being down to 10 men. You still have the numbers back there. Yeah. You got to organize it and sort it out. Um, you know, it was just a shame to see that happen because I thought up until then, I thought Parma carried out their game plan perfectly. Um, I thought, Bob, you know, Bob, I, I, Bob, I anticipated, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I anticipated Gervinho was going to go nuts in this yeah. game because screen, with screening you out of there, you're trying to figure it out with the back three. You're going to play Kondreva at wing back instead of somebody who might be a little bit more sturdy defensively. I was like, this is just screaming for Gervinho to do something crazy, and it happened. Um, and then, um, and then you know, the counterattacking after that, I mean, there were some chances. Kulishevsky nearly made it two, um, yeah. and I thought he was very good again. Um, you know, and then it just – Gervinho just got tired legs and and had to be withdrawn and and then it just they still Parma self destructed and I think Inter stole three points here guys. I agree, definitely agree. If you watch the first half, uh, absolutely from the first minutes to like about the seventieth minute, Parma was absolutely in control of this game. You saw how Gervinho and Kulubeski were both just terrorizing Inter's defense. Uh, Gervinho with the pace, Kulovetsky was just literally a steamroller through like Inter. Yeah. Um, Creds to Barella. Barella really did try his best to control Kulovetsky as best as he can. But in the end, I feel like Parma got tired and they just shut off the defensive instinct because they had that uh, goal lead on them. And they thought that, okay, there's only 10 minutes left. We can just hang it off, tensions grew, uh, tensions grew and then uh, Kuchka got sent off, and I feel like that really, you know, discombobulated the system that they had, and they just completely lost themselves and self-destructed. And he's one of the leaders on the team, too. So having one of your leaders go off the pitch like that, uh, I can see how it can, dis- you know, disorient the whole team and, and, and cause them to implode like they did. But the way they imploded, Frank, it was just uh, mind-boggling. Uh, to leave Bastoni that wide open, 
to allow the smallest man on the pitch to get a header off a corner kick, and then you know Devry Devry is going to put it away when he when he gets that opportunity. But uh, yeah, it was just uh, not pretty by Parma at the end, and um, uh, Inter get away with one. They they do. And it's a it's a case of um, and here's the other thing, in the case of Parma, where the hell do they find these guys? Castro <laughs> Castro DeMarco. I mean, that guy was good. I mean, he was solid. He had things solid back there. And got a yellow. Diversa takes him out in the 77th minute um, because he's on a yellow. You know, and, and it just might be a fear playing in. Let's And they bring in this Vasco Regini, who I've never heard of. But, I mean, if you've got a guy that's got things under control back there and has got – I mean, he doesn't have Lukaku in his back pocket or Lataro in his back pocket or anything like that, but he keeps him – keeps him in front of him and doesn't let him have anything easy throughout the entire match. And he's on a yellow. I'd rather stick with the hot hand and hope he doesn't get a second yellow than bring in somebody else totally cold that has to work his way into the game and deal with Lotaro and Lukaku. I thought that was another tactical flaw yeah. on the part of Diversa, in my opinion. And this kid, this kid came in here. I'm assuming he's a kid. Um, I thought he was outstanding back there. I thought he was solid. You would have thought that he would have been. You should have given him faith enough that he he would have been professional enough that once he picked up the yellow, he would be smart enough not you know to back off a little bit and not get sure. that yellow. Now, if, now if he was playing reckless and you know out of control and begging for that second yellow, then I see you take him off. But if he's doing fine and he's he's doing a great job, leave him in there. Yeah. You know? Unless he is injured or some of that or or begging for a second yellow, there's no reason you should take him out. I think it was only his tenth appearance with Parma uh, since joining. He came on on a free last year. And I can't remember where exactly he came from, but you know, wh why take out a guy who has been able to keep it all together for your? I mean, and then what happens? Set piece, he's not in the game. You know, get guys out of the game that were were kind of helping in that area. They score, and then just you know, Kuchka says something about the referee's mother and gets sent off, and then three minutes later they score again. I mean, it, this was all self destruction, and I think Diversa has as much responsibility for this as anybody on the pitch. So, um, that's where I would that's where I would take that. Um, Napoli. They're winning. I mean, it's 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 not Saudi ball anymore, but now they're winning things. As we said last week, winning the Coppa Italia. Um, confidence. Yeah. It's oozing. it's oozing out of them. They're playing with a ton of confidence, and Gattuso has this the way he wants it now, too. Thoughts on Napoli, Miguel? I think Napoli, um, they really have made the turnaround this season. Um, I think that little mutiny that was going on was really harming the way that they played. Um, they weren't a cohesive unit. They were playing their own game. They wanted to play to make themselves look as best as they can. But at the end of the day, when you look at uh, soccer, it's a team sport. Um, everybody has to hold everybody accountable. Uh, yeah. You got to defend and the strikers have to score. You know, keepers have to make saves. You have to be cautious and not get a red card, you know. And I think bringing in Gattuso brought that stability to them. You know, Gattuso came in and was like, hey, you're going to work under my system. You're going to work the way that I want you to work or you're not going to play. That's and right. some of these players, they think they're superstars and they think that, you know, because they play for Napoli and they have these huge contracts, like they're not excused. Um, 
but Gattuso came in like a judge and he's been pounding the gavel and he's like, Hey, if you don't, you don't work hard in training, you don't want to respect me. You don't want to do what I'm asking you to do. You're not going to play. And now I feel like the players have that fear in them that, Hey, if I don't do my job, the boss isn't going to let me play. And I don't want that. So now they're working as a cohesive unit. You saw that they won Coppa Italia. Um, you see that they're winning games and you can see that they have this winning mentality and confidence brimming in them now. Yep. There's, some, there's something about like a Tuso that, you know, he, he admits that, you know, that discipline and fear in you because you're not going to talk about it. I mean, one, there's never going to be a mutiny against the Tuso because he'd probably kill them all before that ever happened. But, <laughs> very true. Yeah, you know, but he probably sits in that locker room and says, you guys are shit. I've played with, I've played with and played against guys 10 times better than you guys. You can't hold their jocks. You, you guys are nothing. You listen to what I say. If you want to win, listen to what I say. We'll, we'll play. We'll get through this. We'll, we'll get. I'll get you where you need to go. I mean, the guys would have to respect them because, I mean, you do not mess with Gattuso. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, you don't. It shows. I mean, the team is disciplined. They're playing awesome now. Uh, this, and this is fantastic that, you know, they put the Napoli won the Coppa Italia, and now they're playing so well, and they're surging up the table now. Yep. Very much agree. Um, let's talk about our team. Why not? Long enough. We, 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 we tried to make sure that this wasn't slanted toward the red and black. Um, I thought this was, I mean, this is exactly, you know what? Do we have Kiara on loan? We need a sign. Yeah. And if we, we do, just, obligation to buy. We do just yeah. fucking buy him already. Yeah. Because that is the perfect, he has shown that he is the ideal perfect partner to Romagnoli in that center of that defense. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, even with a bum knee, um, got it done out there. Or a bum right that back. Is, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely <laughs> crazy. Yeah. So, um, so for me, it's you know, and we'll we'll talk about because our guest is a Milan supporter, so we want to make sure that we give them the coverage. Uh, you know, beyond what Richard and I give them week after week. Um, but. You know, we would talk about some of these other options. Musacchio, he's not available for the rest of the season anyway, but he's a he's a bull in a china shop. He's a card waiting to happen. Um, the right back position is not sorted out, and lots of talk about uh, Denzel Dumfries coming over from PSV. He's been linked on multiple occasions uh, as being the guy that could possibly come in and step in. I'd like to see it, but I think that you know, like anybody coming over from another league, there's going to be an adaptation period. People shouldn't expect uh, immediate success right off the bat. It's few and far between when it happens with transfers coming in from other leagues, especially the Eredivisie, yeah. which is a whole totally different style of football being played out there. I mean, we're getting a lot of goals now in Serie A, okay, but there's still a lot of the old world tactics being played, um, you know, and there's still a lot of the tactical rigidity. Uh, it just so happens more goals are being scored. And I think that some of the, there's a combination of that. One, you've got teams that are playing more attacking football, like your Lazio's, Atalanta's, and Sassuolo's. Uh, two, you've got some pretty bad teams toward the bottom half who are going to concede a lot of goals. So um, it's just the way I think that the combination of those things have led are, are, are a part of why we see more goals in Serie A than we did 20 years ago. Um, yeah. But – all that said, I think there's still an adaptation period when I talk about somebody like Dumfries. But is it an obvious thing right now that right back is a position that does need to be addressed? Uh, or do we play devil's advocate and say, hey, Andrea Conti's kind of getting there? 
Um, give him more games and let's see what happens. Uh, I'm kind of on the fence with that one. Miguel, let's have a yeah, I, I'd agree. I think um, I'm 50-50 on it. It seems like Andrea Conti never really got a chance. He got his chance and he got injured. He got his chance again, then he got injured again. Um, and it seems like this season he showed glimpses in games where he's like, yo, this guy's really solid. Like, we see why we paid for him. Yep. But then he's inconsistent because he hasn't really had so much playing time. Right. And then you think about Davide Calabria, who did really well last season. And this season, he's like not showing up. He's making mistakes. Um, he's getting the short end of the stick, you know, conceding all these penalties. And don't get me wrong, they both conceded, I think they both conceded equal amount of penalties this mm-hmm. season. Um, but you can see that when Conti is really alert and aware and he's doing everything correctly, that he is a bit better than Calabria. So I don't know, especially with how management is going on, we know that Pioli is not going to stay. So we don't know if Ragnik is going to be like, yeah, I'll give Conti a chance or he wants, you know, Dumfries to come in and change the whole system. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of the same boat, too. And, I, you know, the one thing that needs to happen is somebody get Conte a snack or something to eat, man. He is too small. He needs to bulk up. I mean, put him in the weight room or something. I think that will solve a lot of issues. But I think I'm agree with you guys. I think Conte, let him stay in there. He's you know starting to get more game time in them. He, I think he brings more offensively right now than Calabria does. He's had some really nice assists uh, lately, uh, especially that one against uh, the one to um, Rafael Leal recently. So yeah, I guess Lache. Yeah, playing a lot better. And I think, you know, you got the back four outside. Of, sorry, the goalie locked up, right? Assuming you're going to kill him. Uh, Kiar Romagnoli, awesome partnership right now. Teo Hernandez, it goes without saying, he's locked up there. So, you know, Conte's starting to get it now. I think, you know, with the – with the rumors that Benacer may go to like a Man City or something, maybe focus on the midfield or maybe the attacking. Rebic is not a striker; he's really a second striker or or, or coming off the wing. Um, right now, he's doing nicely in place of Ibra, but uh, that's not a place that he's he's comfortable with, I think. And if you maybe get a striker and or someone in the midfield to partner with Kessie, because Kessie's playing really well right now. Uh, he had that great you know side volley that led to the go- to the Rebic goal. Uh, so you know maybe that's where you should focus and give Conte a little bit more time, or maybe get, bring someone from the youth, but. Conte is, I think, starting to earn it. And he's got three, four rocks back there in the defense with him that can maybe help clean up some of the messes he has. And hopefully he can keep out of the penalty, you know, penalty mistakes that he's he's had that Miguel talked about. It brings me to the midfield then, uh, since you kind of alluded to it by talking about Kessie. We're talking about Ishmael Benacer and Frank Kessie on the one a couple of weeks ago. I heard people like PSG and Manchester City be willing to come in and offer 50 million for Ishmael Benacer. And at the time I said, you know what? As much as I like Benacer and as, as much as I like him, how he's grown into this team, 50 million is a lot of jack. And <laughs> you can do some pretty good things with that. And I'd be ready to, you know, I'd go, but I, <laughs> boy, I'm ready to see those. I, I'd like to see a little more money out of that transfer fee if you want to prize him from Milan. I think that right now you have got a very nasty double pivot in front of that back four between Benacer and Kessie. I think the they complement each other perfectly. Yeah, they understand each other so well right now. And I think that a lot of this is because, and we have said this multiple times before we went into went into the break, I think in terms of Frank Kessie, I think that what Pioli has done an excellent job of with him, he has simplified Kessie's role. When he was in Gattuso's 4-3-3, he was asked to do a lot. He was not only box to box, he was asked to get into the penalty area and be part of the attack and finish and, and things like that. And a lot 
that was putting a lot on his plate. Now it's simplified for him where under Pioli, he's the ball winner in the midfield. He's doing some dirty work and he's just passing it off to some of the other guys who can, who can be the playmakers. Dare I say, a, you know, a poor man's Gattuso because that's what Gattuso did when he was in, in Milan in the heyday. He tackled, won the ball and gave it to Pirlo, gave it to Seedorf, gave it to Cafu, um, gave it to Kaká and said, here, you do, you do something with it. Um, you know, Kessie is not being asked to overcomplicate things anymore and things have gotten simplified. Benesser is a technician. He's a, he can be a ball winner. He can be a little bit reckless. I think his tackling has gotten a lot better. I've seen a lot of guys on me on Twitter, Martino and, and Michael, who have been in the chat have all alluded to it saying his tackling has gotten much better. Yeah. Uh, but he also can pick the pass too, uh, and help the team keep the ball and play with some composure. So, I think that this is the double pivot, and I, I want to retract what I said about the fifty million for Benasser. Yeah, I agree. I think when the reports of the fifty million uh, bids were coming in, I was like, "Yeah, fifty million would be sweet and be <laughs> double what we paid for him." But you really think about it, uh, this is Benasser's first season with Milan, and if you look at the progress he's made from when he first started at Milan yeah. and now, he's made such a huge impact and such a huge difference that if you were to sell him right now, you'd be selling him and you don't know his full potential, you know? Yep. So it wouldn't be, it wouldn't, 50 million would be nice right now, but it wouldn't be his worth. Like his future worth is probably more than that. So why yeah. sell him now? Sure. Sure. I and definitely I, agree with that. And Frank, to your point about simplifying things for uh, for Kessie, I think the same thing could be said for Romagnoli. He had too much on his plate as well, not only being captain, but trying to do everything in the defense. You bring in Simon Chiar, and he just all of a sudden he takes all the pressure away from um, from Romagnoli. He can just focus on what he has to do, and he's played so much better. This is the best we've seen Romagnoli play in a long time, and obviously it helped to have a competent partner. But I think bringing in Chiar has also helped simplify Romagnoli's game. So I think both. Uh, Romagnoli and Kessie have, have benefited by simplifying their games and not trying to do too much. Just let what what made them, what got them there, you know, continue to work, continue to work and, and benefit the team. Um, th those two players have benefited the most, I think, in our Pioli uh, this season for sure. Sure. Um, I want to discuss three players now uh, from Milan, and I want to get you know you can answer my question, and then just give me your opinions about them. I'll start with Hakan Chalanolu who has now had two good games. Uh, and this is a guy that could, especially with the, the Milan Twitter, uh, undergo a hell of a lot of scrutiny. Um, you know, so I'll ask about that. You know, let me get to the three players. But in, in, in terms of Hakan Chalanolu, what I want you to answer for me is, has he turned it around? Uh, do you have a little more faith in him? Or is are you waiting for your other shoe to drop with him? Um Jack Bonaventura, who it sounds like they're not going to renew him after this season. Is it time to just say, okay, hey, it's been great, but we've got this Brazilian kid. We need to give him a run out, uh, Paqueta. And then finally, Alexis Salamakers, because this was his best performance in a Milan shirt. And some of the stuff I saw from him at Anderlecht led me to believe that he could be this good. Uh, so let's take on these three guys. Um, I'll answer, I'll give you my thoughts on all three of them after I hear from you guys. And Richard, you go first. Chalanolu, Bonaventura, Salamakers. Um, I was always on the up on Chalanolu. I mean, he's had some bad games, he has, and I think he has gotten better. 
this last game, he was the most uh, he was the most uh, active and, and caused the most disruption to the Roman defense. I, I thought in the game overall, um, he has has played very consistently. And I don't I'm not waiting for the shoot to drop. I think he has turned it around. It helps that the team is playing better, right? Uh, when once the team starts playing better, everyone's going to start playing better, and I think that's what's going to happen with the Chalnolu. Um, hopefully, get some more accuracy on his you know set piece abilities, but um, he's causing chaos with his shots. He's doing the right thing. He's working hard, putting the balls on target this time instead of shooting them wide or over. Uh, so I think that's going a long way. Um, no, good drawing brain fart. Who are the other two players again? <laughs> Salamakers. Bonaventura and Salamakers. Well, I'll go to Salamakers first. Uh, Salamakers, I thought uh, he has – this is definitely his best game by far. And I don't know if you guys noticed it, but there's a, a relationship between him and Chalanolu that's a really uh, – there's like a friendship there, like a bromance there. Uh, and uh, they're finding each other on the pitch and they're really working well together. And I think that's going to only benefit and not only get his confidence up, but also, you know, benefit Salamakers and, and get an opportunity to play more on the pitch and, and uh, do some good things for Milan, get some good assists. He looked very, very uh, good in this game. And then uh, Bonaventura, yeah, I've been screaming for Paqueta for the longest time. He's been very inconsistent. We, he's caused a lot of turnovers and not doing very well, but I think he still needs that opportunity. Uh, Bonaventura, as much as we love him, he's been a stalwart. He's been the one guy we could depend on during a banter era. Um, you know, maybe his eyes are set with uh, Atalanta, wherever his move is next. Uh, and he's getting older now. I mean, he, he still can do the he can still do the job for a few minutes of the game. Comes on as a sub, but you know, for a full ninety or you know, getting him on for seventy five. I don't know if he has it. And I think it's the opportunity to get Paqueta a run. Uh, he did. I thought Paqueta had a decent game. Um, him and Salamakers coming in there. Um, did some good things. They had opportunities for shots. You know, maybe the shot selection or the the shots that uh, Paqueta is getting could do better, right? The one shot he had with his right foot, uh, while it was close on the keeper, he could have done a lot better. I thought it could have been a, a much harder shot. But overall, give him a chance. You know, so I, I, I'm, I'm things are looking up with Milan, especially the way the team is playing now. Those three guys, I think, can benefit a lot. Okay, Miguel. Yeah, as to Chalonoglu. Um... I remember him at Hanover 96. I remember him at Bayer Leverkusen. Um, he really showed his quality as an attacking midfielder. Um, and that's why when Hakan came to Milan, Milan fans were a bit excited because they knew what he was capable of. They know he's capable of picking out people on the attack and creating opportunities. They know he's good at set pieces, you know, he was just a well-rounded midfielder. And when he came to Milan, we didn't see any of that. We saw the poor side of him. We saw him miss sitters, poor crosses. It looked like he didn't really know what he's doing. But the last two games, he's been really shining. And I hope that it's not just a phase where it's just two games, but I really hope that he continues like this. I feel like with him, the problem was lack of confidence. Think about it. He came in and he was under a coach. The coach got fired. Another coach comes in. Coach brings a little bit of stability. And then coach gets fired again. And then the summer, Giampaolo comes in. Everybody's terrible. Uh, don't get me wrong. You know, Hakkan did score a couple of goals for us during that period. Mm -hmm. But the team was just not functioning. Everybody was not playing their best. And I think that now that... Pioli has come in and brought in that stability. He's really brought out, you know, the best qualities in each of these players. So I'm really hoping that Hakan can continue what he's doing. As for Bonaventura, 
again, Bonaventura has been a loyal servant of Milan. You can tell that whenever he did step on the pitch, it was blood, sweat, and tears for the badge. Um, he's been unlucky with injuries. He got injuries during his prime time and missed out on that. Um, so he does deserve a chance. He does deserve the playing time and the starts that he's getting. But we got to call a spade a spade. At this point, it's not good enough. And especially in the position that we are on the table, we're sitting in seventh. We're trying to climb up the table. Maybe we can overtake Roma. Maybe we can overtake Napoli. So having that one player who is lacking the quality that you need to win games, it can come back and bite us. And we all love Bonaventura. You know, we wish him the best. And I feel like that's also part of the reason why Milan are not renewing his contract. They're like, hey, you know, you've been a great service for us uh, for the past couple of years, um, but you're injury prone. You're not in the shape that you were when we first bought you. And we're really trying to turn things around because we're tired of being a banter team. We're tired of being non-top four in Serie A. Um, as for Salamakers, I think that when he came in originally, he wasn't given a chance. Um, but I also feel like Pioli was like, you know, we're going to toy with you in, in training and practice sessions. And when it's your time to shine, it's your time to shine. And I think that's what happened um, against Roma. He came on in the 56th minute, you know, got his playing time. You saw him putting in crosses. You saw him using his pace down the wings. Yeah. And that is exactly what we need. And now you think about it, it's like, okay, we have Salamakers. He can come in and replace Castillejo, who's been doing a great job. Absolutely. So I think I think Salamakers really can make an impact. And if he stays, it'll be good. Um, as to Richard said, it does look like him and Chalanoglu have a bromance. Uh, yeah. If you saw after Chalanoglu scored, he did hug Salamakers and they exchanged yeah. some words. So... It looks good. Yep. My takes on all of these, Chalanolu, I am waiting for the other shoe to drop. (laughs) I'm sorry, guys, because I've seen it so many times. I've seen him let me down so many times. I mean, he's got abundance of talent. Um, But I'm, I'm, the the dud could come at a very awful time. Uh, And if we're, when when it comes to finally possibly getting to that point where six could be a, realized and we're depending on him to come through and pull the strings for us and he doesn't do it. I'm just, yeah, I, I'm envisioning that and it worries me, but I'm encouraged by what I have seen in the last couple of games. No doubt about it. Um, Bonaventura, I think it's time to have the toy taken away from him. I mean, you're not renewing him at the end of the season. Um, I, I think it's time for Paqueta. I mean, I think if you really want to get saucy, you can play Leal um, further up with Rebic. Um, and get into a four four two, but you know, and and this is probably going to be the most. This is the most polarizing guy when it comes to Milan Twitter, I think, because he's so adored. Um, yeah. You know, and he worked very hard for this team during a very difficult period, um, and that he's not going to be around to maybe see a new project and see the ascendancy. But I mean, at the same time, he's into his thirties now. How much longer do you want to? How much longer do you want to keep him around? And does he want to continue to? Does he want to stay around and just to be a fringe player too? Um, so I think it's time for more of Paquita. Uh, and as for Salamakers, you know, this is a guy that I was very encouraged by from, you know, I, you know, the time that they made the decision to bring him over from Anderlecht, I didn't know anything about him. I started taking in some clips of him and said, 
the kid could be useful. Um, and I think that this was the game here against Romo where he came on in his cameo where he finally made use of his talents. Um, he's got – he doesn't have a deceptive first touch, but he knows how to create space for himself with the ball and get away from defenders to be able to take the next step. And I think he does that extremely well. Um, you know, and then he can set a cross. He can set a shot. He can set a pass, uh, you know, and things like that. I think that he reads things. He can read defenders – you know, relatively well. Um, I'm not calling, I'm not saying that he's, you know, Xavi 2.0 or, or anybody like that. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. he's got some instincts that if the rest of his game can pick up, we might have something pretty damn promising um, in the form of this kid. So, yeah. um, you know, so we'll have to see. Finally, Gazidis. I like the direction this is going. Um, you know, fired Boban. Boban kind of did that to himself. Yeah. Um, you know, Maldini is not going to stay after this is all done. You know, which that we have to probably stop tugging at our heartstrings on this and realize that this is a business. Okay, the club needs to be run. Okay, and, and while it would have been great to have – somebody from the past, an iconic name like Maldini in some role, helping see Milan get its resurgence. If that's not the, if that's not going to get us there, then those are the decisions that just have to be made. You know, and I had this, when I had Phil Shane on here, uh, we had Phil Shane on here a couple months ago. We had that conversation. We said, Gazidis is a CEO. He's had the experience with his time at Arsenal. He is a backroom guy that'll know how to get this put together. And I like the moves that he's making to get this team, whether it's ready for Rangnick or I don't, at this point, it's not going to be a continuation of Pioli. Um, but it seems like he is tailoring this team. He's not necessarily watering it down. What happened before young Hung Lee took over, you saw Berlusconi and Galliani water Milan down oh, yeah. uh, and Montella Terrible. dragged that team to sixth. One yeah. of the best coaching jobs I've ever seen. Because <laughs> yeah. um, that team had no business finishing sixth. But uh, to get into the Europa League, I don't. This is not a watering down that Katsidis is doing, but he. This is a weeding out to try to create something that Ragnik can take and move forward with. That's what I at least. That's what I at least is seeing. Um, uh, Milan Weekly Pod, and I believe that Steve saying Rag as the D's. Maldini, DT, and Pioli as coach is what we will see. So Rangnick is the director. Is that what you're trying to say, Steve? I'm assuming it's Steve. I think it would be – that's a, that's a difficult decision for me because especially Pioli, you know, gets them into Europa League. He's done a fantastic job with what right. – with the squad. And then now you're going to bring in Ranya to change it up. We've done that already with Gattuso, who was, what, one point away from Champions League last season and we got rid of him. Um, that'll be another hard, difficult transition, though it may be the right decision, right, right transition. Um, getting rid of Pioli now, while you're bringing in Rania, could could have a disastrous results at least in the onset. Um, but I don't so know. maybe Pioli stays on as coach. Yeah, that's what I mean. Keep Pioli. I think Rania's definitely a backroom guy. He's the guy who can develop a team. I don't like him as a manager, from what I've seen in the past. And you know, Pioli would be just as good as Rania. He wouldn't be worse. So why not keep Pioli? He's actually got you know, already a year under his belt. The team's already responding, obviously, now. So keep him in there, you know? Yep. Buy him some time until he gets the manager he wants. 
Yeah. But Miguel, the thing that concerns me about Pioli, and we have seen this, he's got a track record. Um, Lazio gets him to the Champions League, and then the next season burns out. You know, Inter gets him on a nice run. Next season burns out. Fiorentina goes through an awful situation uh, with their captain, Davide Astori, passing away, guiding them through that and getting them to a respectable, fin respectable finish, and then the following season flames out. That is the thing that you have to worry about with Pioli. He only seems to get so far in these roles. Yeah. Yeah. It, sure. is, it is a bit worrying um, when you do look at uh, Pioli's past track record. Um, he seems to know how to ignite a team for a season and then it just goes into shambles. Um, you think about how he did it with Lazio and got into the Champions League and fired out. Um, the Fiorentina situation was a lot different, a lot more complicated, and I think that he handled that excellently. Um, same thing with Milan, coming into Milan that was unmotivated. They didn't know what they were doing, and now they look motivated. They look hungry. They, they look like they know what they're doing. That's kind of the thing. Um, you begin to wonder, will this continue if he does stay, or will it be like his other jobs where – he has come in and it just goes into flames after that. So it, it's it's a bit worrying. You you don't have any type of assurance with Pioli. But again, like Milan always changes their coaches every season. And we're tired of that. I bet the, uh, the players are tired of that too. They want some stability. And it seems like Pioli's giving them stability. I will go on record and say that I was maybe one of uh, two people that approved the Pioli appointment after – I can verify. Jim was sacked. I can verify. Yeah. Yep. I was one of the ones. Actually, I think I said it before I'd e he was even hired, and I said, "I'm I'm going to pull a name out of my ass here that I've. I this is on Twitter. Go back. You have to go back a long time. I'm going to pull a name out of my ass that might not be popular with anyone, but Stefano Pioli seems like somebody that could come in and do a pretty good job with this particular situation. So, yeah. you know, um, and uh, he gets hired, and everybody's angry, and is like, well. I'm going to take my victory lap and uh, I'm going to sit back and see if he can get this done. Cause I think that he can. So, um, yeah. and it's worked out. I'm just concerned about the flame out and when it's coming, you know, and, uh, or we might get lucky and this is where he hangs his hat and he ends up being a lot more successful than some of the other stops. Yeah. Yeah. It's tricky. Um, you also got a feel for him. You know, the guy came in and, Everybody's like Pioli out, Pioli out, and now everybody loves Pioli. And it's like, that's you know, you, trending the first day he signed. That's crazy. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> yep. And uh, Steve saying from Katsidis, we need him to stay away from the football and develop a project for transfers to be attracted to. Yes. And, and I think to take it further, I think Katsidis has done a nice job. Like I said, Berlusconi and Galliani's final years, they were final year, they watered it down. Yeah. Yeah. And then Young Hung Lee took over and went on a transfer binge that he couldn't sustain. Yeah. Um, and then uh, in this case, Gazidis is coming in and I don't he's not watering it down, but he is definitely weeding things out. He's not gonna re he's not gonna renew Bonaventura, he's not gonna renew Bilia. Rodriguez is gone, I think. Um, you know, I think that he is erasing Barini's already gone um so he's done a very nice job of erasing 
and correcting some of the mistakes from the transfer binges and making this team a little healthier and a little more balanced. So, you know, so I like the work that he's doing. Um, And if what Steve is saying is that if it's, if it's direct, Rangnick is director of sport, Maldini technical director and and Pioli coach, I'll take it. I would too. Take it in a heartbeat. So definitely. So, Richard, a little bit more for those who haven't heard us, but because you have you have the familiarity on Bundesliga, Rangnick, what he would bring, um, you know, obviously very successful in his role with making RB Leipzig what they are today. Yeah, he's he's uh, a, a, pl- a person. I want to say a player, a person who develops a team, um, and he believes very much in the in the youth and bringing them up through the team and. And then, you know, eventually selling off those players, make money off of that and continue rebuilding or not rebuilding, but uh, feeding, feeding the feeding back into the system to develop the youth team. I mean, all the teams, uh, he's always invested in youth. That's what he does. He develops a team that's not, not only um, viable financially, but also on the pitch. They're going to be contenders for, they usually are contenders for Champions League spots, as we, we've seen in the last two stops he's been at. Um, I think uh, a role like this would be perfect that, you know, don't let him be manager. Let him let him take care of the sporting side. Let Gazita stay in the back in the office side, the marketing side, uh, and, let, and let you know Maldini be the, the 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 director of talent. And yeah, I mean that's uh, that's probably the best way to do it because I wouldn't want to see. I, I've seen Ranić as a manager. He's he's just an average manager. There's nothing to write home about. Um, probably a little bit. Probably not as good as Pioli, like I said earlier. But um, have, keeping Pioli in there would be the best thing to do at the moment, and let Ranić continue working in the back room and. and Making the squad healthy, like you said, Frank. Um, I think this is what Ronnie's going to bring in and uh, bring in some youth players again. I mean, it was a time when Milan bring a lot of young young players from all over the all over the world. Uh, we haven't seen that lately. Um, I think Ronnie could do that, um, bring that back to what we've our old glory days, I should say. Any chance he can uh, stow uh, in Kunku in his luggage when he when he comes over to Milan? It would be nice. Um, I know he's uh, trying to get Upamecano, who's actually a very good, uh, very fast, very his, he's yeah, a very well built like defender from. I would Army. love that. I would yep. too. I would too. And just a couple, a couple other names I heard too that youngsters that are really good. Um, I'm I'm ecstatic about if it were to happen, but you know it's still a ways away. But yeah, like the signs I'm liking what I'm hearing so far, especially lately with the old thing. Danny Olmo, but I doubt that's ever going to happen. I mean, I think he just, yeah. you know, he just got there, which is a pain. Yeah. Miguel, uh, Steve wants to know what you're drinking. I am drinking good old H2O water. No. All right. As of all, look at that. Can't I'm, the only, I'm, I'm the only one drinking beer. So, <laughs> so I'm in Milwaukee. I got to represent. That is your water, right? Yeah, that is. It kind of is our water, to be honest. Sure. Um, good point here by Steve, and I, I want to touch on this. I'm afraid of Ragnar, Ragnik not having Serie A experience. We all know that culture is a very different animal with all the politics and friendships. There's that, but <clears throat> in how he constructs teams and how he attracts talent and, and, and what he wants, you know, I think that he's going to have to do his homework on how Serie A is compared to Bundesliga. You know, he built a team that is built to be successful in Bundesliga. Okay. You know, can he adapt and I, I made these comments i think i was talking with lacy about this a while back um can he adapt his approach to make it work for a team that needs to function and be successful in Serie A that is tactically very different uh from what you get in bundesliga so uh very good point 
And I think he could. I think especially if he's not the manager, he can focus more on that. And I think he can sure. do. Excellent. Excellent. Goals of the week, but let's stick with the ones from match week 28. I know that uh, Juve scored three beauties today, but uh, we'll we'll save that for a match week 29 pot or something like that. So, Richard, what did you have from uh, match week 28? Um, yeah, I'm gonna, the two Muriel goals, I, I like those a lot. Uh, I'm trying to think of some the Meritans uh, chip shot. Um, trying to think what else was the ones that I really liked. The one for me, the goal of the week was Frank Ribery. I mean, undressing undressing the uh, Lazio defense and then putting it in the back of the net. I mean, that's gold week for me. Okay. I'm with you. The two, two Muriel goals, uh, the Meritons chip, uh, Nandez's goal uh, to open it for Calgary, and yeah. then I, I, the Ribery goal for me. So, yeah. Miguel? I would, have to say, I would have to say Nandez's goal. Um, that was just beautiful. And then I'd have to go with Virginio, Jervinho uh, putting a Kendrick on skate. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was a really good one. And I think I'm going to go with Luis Albrocho's goal against uh, Fiorentina. That just showed you the, the, the amount of emotion and passion that Lazio have for their team. Mm-hmm. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Um, well, I think we'll uh, put a bow on this edition of Serie A Sit Down, guys. And uh, we, this is this is when we shameless plug. Miguel, we're going to start with you as our guest. Uh, fire away with uh, what you're working on and um, where our listeners can follow you. Well, today I did upload my recap of Roma versus Milan. Uh, you can find me on YouTube at Milano Miguel. Uh, my Twitter is at MiguelAJ29. Um, I'm also going to be working on posting articles for MLS Multiplex. When okay. MLS starts up again, I'll be focused on Chicago Fire and LAFC. So look out for those articles on my Twitter, and that's what really I'm working on. Richard, you're an awful awful lot happier these days because you don't have to worry about Shelka anymore. Um, <laughs> that's, that's, true. All, that's all done. The uh, I don't know if the David uh, Big news the David, the David Wagner experience carries on after this after that calamity. But uh, but uh, what else do you want to shamelessly plug? Uh, I want to give a shout out to uh, everyone's dear friend Uncle Sharma. Uh, you can find him on Twitter. Uh, it is at R S H A R M Z Z. I was a guest on his uh, YouTube today. We talked uh, week one of uh, the return of Calcio. We talked a little Inter and uh, Brescia coming up this weekend. Uh, it's really good. Make sure you give him a follow on both YouTube and and Twitter. It's a good follow. Uh, and then uh, yeah, you can you, you can find me pretty much anywhere r underscore k h a r m a n and uh, obviously our YouTube page. Excellent. Uh, you can follow me at ftc underscore twenty one. Seria, sit down. We have our own channel on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. We can be found on Stitcher, Spotify, and now iHeartRadio, uh, and everywhere else. Uh, podcasts are played uh you can find seria sit down um you're on our youtube page right now if uh, for those of you that are watching um please drop a like please subscribe uh we'll continue to pump out more content we'll extract clips from this podcast uh for little bits that we can throw at everybody here uh on the twitter machine here throughout the week uh so do check that out um we're also on facebook um Check us out there. We're all over the place. Uh, what's that? iHeartRadio. iHeartRadio. I already said that. I know. Just uh, 
Got to get out there. <laughs> so I was paying attention to you. Uh, my work. We can we can talk about how you said. We can talk about you checking my work. We can talk about how you said. Boys, uh, we got, we got, about how you said Callejon scored in the 46th minute. He scored in the 36th. <laughs> Let's see what else. Um, you said that Atalanta was hosting Udinese. They were away. <laughs> and uh, you I'm said that. Christ, what else did you say? I, I wanted to call you out on this after the podcast, but since you wanted to, you know. <laughs> if Serial's not for you, you can always watch Weasley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The next thing I want to hear from you. Well, if you don't like Serie A, uh, and if you don't like Serie A, you can go to worldfootballindex.com. There's so many podcasts covering so many different leagues. Please do. Please do. After listening to us for over an hour and a half, you probably don't like Serie A anymore. Uh, <laughs> we have that effect on people. <laughs> so uh, check out worldfootballindex.com plenty of other uh, articles and content um, uh, podcasts among other things for you to check out so um, Miguel thanks a lot great job thank you sir uh, congratulations thank you for having on your, me congratulations on your first cap I have a feeling that second cap uh, won't be too far away okay I'll be down excellent excellent stuff Richard, as always, it's a blast. Uh, thank you for Richard. I'm Frank. For Miguel, I'm Frank. And make sure you're telling your paisans about us. Ciao.